If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. We're beginning a series through the month of March called Living as Citizens of Heaven. And so we're going to be looking at what it means that we don't belong here on earth. What it means that we have a home that is up in heaven and separate from where we currently are. Now, we're going to be looking at five different messages through the month of March. There's five Sundays in March. And we're going to be looking at different aspects of, of how we are to live our lives in light of this reality. But I want to start off the series by talking about the reality. Uh, talking about the fact that our home is not here on earth. I started counting how many places Hannah and I have lived since we've been married. We'll be celebrating our 16th anniversary this year. And in those 16 years, we have lived in seven different cities. Uh, And so you can kind of do the math that averages a little more than two years per place. Now, we've moved around more than what we want to. But we have lived in six Uh, I'm sorry, uh, seven different cities, seven different distinct homes in those cities. We've served six different churches in that time. And it feels like for a while we were always moving. I know it felt that way to us. I'm sure it felt that way to our in-laws as well, trying to remember a new address and figuring out where to visit those grandkids and packing up trucks and moving. It was just so stressful. And I started counting up then, okay, just in my life, even before I met Hannah, Now, I I came from a family where my mom and dad were divorced, and so I had two different homes for my entire upbringing. And so I started doing some math. I've lived or or called home to 10 different cities. Now, I'm only 36 years old. I say only, and I hope that you'll go, yeah, that's young. I'm only 36 years old, and I've lived in 10 different cities that I've called home. Some of them were very close, so I lived in Homestead, but also for a while my dad lived up in Miami, Florida, so we had Homestead, Florida, and Miami, Florida. I've lived in uh, three different places in the state of Kentucky. I spent a summer in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've been as far east as North Carolina, as far north as Indiana, and and I've just, I've lived a lot of different places. In those 10 cities, there have been 16 homes that I can remember that I've called homes home. That includes a dorm, that includes two apartments, and that includes several other houses that I've lived in. And those are the only ones I can remember. I started thinking when when I was first born and my mom and dad were together, that had to have been a 17th home they lived in together. And then at some point after they split, I know they each got two separate places. There's two more that I can't remember. And and so I I don't know all of the homes that I've even lived in. Here's what I do know, though. Moving is not fun. Some of you have moved recently, others of you are in the process of moving, and it, it's just, it's a burden. And what's not only difficult about moving, the packing up the boxes and, the, and the getting everything settled in, what's difficult is learning a new place. It just doesn't feel like home right away. And I can speak to this because we've moved around so much that there have been plenty of places that, unfortunately, we were there for such a short period of time, it never felt like home. When we moved to North Carolina... Uh, We went, and the testimony is is longer than what I want to share this morning, but we were running from God. Even your minister runs from God. We ended up just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Our church was in Harrisburg. We lived in a a town neighboring it called Concord, North Carolina. 
And we went to serve there as their youth pastor at Providence Baptist Church in Harrisburg, North Carolina. We were there for a very short amount of time, less than a year. Actually, probably about six months that we realized we were running from God. That's not where we needed to be. The church was great. I actually loved being right outside of Charlotte. Chick-fil-A's all over the place. It was wonderful. But we were there for such a short period of time, it, it never felt like home. The whole time we were there. There were struggles we had for sure. There were, there were things that God was doing in our lives that made it difficult, but part of it was... We just didn't have enough time to take root and make it feel like this is where we're from and where we belong. Actually, if you do a a background check on me or or you check uh, my history of where I've lived, you may pop up some residences, but what you'll never find is a driver's license for the state of North Carolina that has my name on it. We weren't even there long enough for me. Well, we should have, but we didn't. We weren't even there long enough that I switched my driver's license. There may not even be evidence that I actually existed in North Carolina for those nine months. I think about the the brevity that we've spent some places. I'm thankful that we've found a home, and Robinson feels like home. We've been here as long as we've lived everywhere, anywhere as a, a married couple and as a family. I'm thankful that we're not moving anymore. But I look back at some of those places and how brief we were there and how it never got to feel like home. And I can't help but think... As scripture teaches us about our true home in heaven, the brevity of our life on earth, and how as a believer, it should never be so comfortable that this feels like home. We ought to be in our lives understanding that the eternal prospect of heaven lays in front of us. And the breath that we have here on earth does not give us time to get comfortable. Our key verse in this series is going to be Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Actually, we're going to be in Philippians 3 this morning, so you can turn there. And I want to encourage you, we're going to read this verse every single week. I want to encourage you to memorize it. You've got five weeks to do it. It won't take five weeks. Okay? I use the English Standard Version of Scripture, so that's what I have up on the screen. Here in just a minute, we're going to read it together. I'm going to ask you to read it on the screen if you can follow along on there. Memorize it in whatever translation you're comfortable with. Uh, but for our sake this morning, I want to read it all together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 in the English Standard Version. Will you read this with me? It says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. This is a verse I want you to memorize. So if you're not into memorization or scripture memory, or or you've never taken time to sit down and focus on one verse, let's, as a church, over the next few weeks, memorize Philippians 3.20. If you memorize it in the English Standard Version, you can read it with us each week. If you memorize it in different translation, that's fine. You can follow along on the screen, and and we can say it together. But, But this is a verse I want to imprint on our hearts, that our citizenship is not here. This earth is not where the believer permanently resides. This is a holding place. This isn't where we should be comfortable. This isn't a place where we sit back and say, I'm ready to retire. This is a place that God has us until a future glory. This is a place God has us till till all of our struggles 
are over. This is a place God has us until we can have perfect relationships. This is a place God has us until we can experience Him fully. This is not our home. And I want this verse to be burned on our hearts to remind us that we should not live as if this is all there is. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are waiting, longing, yearning for a day when we see our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I just want to start off our series talking about living as an alien, a foreigner. Uh, Scripture uses this word alien. It, It literally means foreigner. I'm not saying live as a Martian. We're living as someone who doesn't belong here. We're living as a foreigner, and we're going to read several verses in Philippians chapter 3 surrounding this verse to remind us what that looks like. And so I I want to do a comparison this morning, if we can. I want to compare having an earthly vision, someone who believes this is my home and where, where all of my comforts need to be found, versus having a heavenly vision. With this idea that that there is something bigger and better, that my citizenship is elsewhere. I want to compare what those two lives look like by reading Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is a short letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and in it he is suffering greatly. We're not going to talk a lot about his suffering this morning, mostly because there is a sermon that is coming in this series talking about how we handle suffering in light of the fact that this is our temporary home and our citizenship is in heaven. But I do think it's important that we realize Paul is suffering. He is in a jail cell, been arrested for obedience to God. The Roman government was unhappy with him and throws him in prison. He's chained to a guard, and he is the most miserable he has ever been in his entire life. And in this letter to the church of Philippi, he writes more about rejoicing in joy than he does in any other letter he writes in the New Testament. And so we understand he has something that has changed his perspective. It's not about his current condition in his jail cell. It's not about the beatings he's taken or the sufferings he's had. He has not an earthly vision, but some heavenly vision, some understanding that there is more. And he writes that to us in Philippians. And particularly in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 17 through 21. So you can follow along on the screen or if you have your Bible in front of you, read starting in verse 17. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here's our verse. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Paul is writing, and he is writing with tears, that there are two types of people. Those who have an earthly vision and those who have a heavenly vision. Those who are focused on the here and the now and the circumstances and the world around them. And those who understand that there is something greater and better. 
And this morning, I want to take what Paul writes to us and show how he contrasts those two different ways of viewing things. I think we see clearly the the people who have an earthly vision in verse 19. And so this is the verse that's going to show us what it looks like when we have our minds set on on earthly things, when we have a, a vision that is consumed with our here and our now. And the first thing, after he tells us their end is destruction, after he tells us the the final resting place, after he tells us that those who, who live this way will be eternally separated from God, he tells us what their big issues are. And he begins just by highlighting who they worship. Look in Philippians 3.19. He says, their God is their belly. Now, now what does this mean? Their God is their belly. I have to confess something to you. Your pastor really likes mint and mint chocolate a lot. And I have zero self-control when it comes to mint-flavored things and mint chocolate-flavored things. I was sharing with some of our deacons last night that McDonald's now has their shamrock shakeout. If you didn't know that, I just did you a favor. Not only do they have their shamrock shakeout on February 19th or around that date. I don't know, somewhere around there. On February 19th, they released their shamrock shake. But I went there that day and ordered a shamrock shake. To which McDonald's replied, in typical McDonald's fashion, I'm sorry, our shake machine is broken. (laughs) You saw that one coming, I know. That's okay. Go back the next day. It's February 20th. I want my shamrock shake. I order it. I'm sorry, our machine is still down. We're waiting for a part to come in to repair it. By the way, I don't go through the drive-thru for anything else, so both times, I'm sure it was awkward when I said, okay, I don't need anything. Have a nice day. And I drove away. I'm not there for a burger. I'm there for a, a mint shamrock shake. I went again the next day. It's still broken. And I asked the guy, so what's going on with the machine? And he said, well, we ordered a part. It came in. And we immediately dropped it down the sink and had to order another one. Is that not the most McDonald's thing you've ever heard in your life? (laughs) So finally this past Wednesday, after I'm checking about every day, I call. Is your shake machine fixed? Yes, I called, right? As a matter of fact, an hour ago, we put the part on and the shake machine is working. And I enjoyed a fabulous mint shamrock shake last Wednesday. I'm limiting myself to one a week trying to limit myself to one a week, but I have no self-control. As fate would have it, the very next day on Thursday, I get a text message. Missy Brown just dropped off a mint chocolate pie, and there's a piece for you waiting in the refrigerator. Well, I don't think I've ever come back from lunch from my house to the church driving as fast as I did that day. Hannah, because she loves me and knows I love mint and chocolate, said, hey, why don't you get some Andy's mints? So you know you like that as an ice cream topping. We can, they used to make them where you could just buy them already chopped up. I couldn't find those. So I bought a bag of Andy's mints and, and put it on some ice cream. It was, it was fabulous. And the problem is you don't use a whole bag, so they're sitting in there. Can I tell you that that bag is almost completely eaten and it's been like two or three days and nobody else has eaten any. <laughs> it's all me. On top of that, last week I had bought a box of Thin Mints for myself. Those lasted 24 hours, and I shared none. And I found out just yesterday, my mother-in-law, who loves me so much, said, I bought you a box of Thin Mints. I'll bring it to you tomorrow for church. So sitting on my desk right now are mint chocolate Thin Mints, and I could not be more excited. (laughs) Can I tell you, I have no self-control when it comes to mint and mint chocolate. None. 
in a humorous way, I can identify with their God is their belly. I want nothing more than to wrap this message up and tear into a box of Thin Mints on my way to McDonald's to get a shamrock shake. This maybe gives us a slight picture of what the obsession is, right? The, the I want it and I need it, but it's so much more than food here. As Paul is writing, he's not saying they, they like to eat certain things. What he's really saying is, is their priorities are physical pleasure. They are obsessed with physical pleasure. Those who have an earthly vision care only about what they can fill their stomachs with, what they can feel pleased with, what they can enjoy. The physical nature of what they can have is all they care about. And that's why he says their God is their stomach. Above all else, they seek pleasure. Above anything else, they want what they want and will stop at nothing to get it. I think it's really easy to sit here this morning and and we will joke about mint chocolate or whatever your favorite food may be it's really easy to sit back and say we have these lesser cravings that we deal with and we laugh about but i'm so thankful that i'm not obsessed with my own pleasure i think it's very naive for us to say that because i'll tell you as a pastor as someone who loves the lord as best as i can There are times that I turn him away and want nothing more than what I want when I want it. This is a picture of someone who's focused on the here and the now, the earthly obsession with their gut and their physical pleasure. This can be something as as simple as food or something as, as physical as lust. This can be about what you want in the here and now. This can be about what you want down the road. This can be about your desire to to gain more income. This can be about your desire to have more things. This can be about your desire to, to have right relationships. When we put our priorities to be the, the physical pleasure on earth, we forget that there is so much more. Paul says their God is their belly. They only care about what they can get and gather and fill their physical pleasures with. But secondly, he not only says they're obsessed with physical pleasure, those who have earthly vision are proud of their sin. They they don't hide or conceal it. They have it out in the open. Look what he says in verse 19 again. He says, they glory in their shame. The sin that they're stuck in, they parade and flaunt. If this isn't a picture of our culture now, I don't know what is. It's not just a, a sinful stance. It's a, it's a, I don't care and I want everyone to know what I'm doing. I've got a group of friends I've met online. They're digital friends. They're not flesh and blood friends. But we've, we've gotten to where we play this stupid game. That's what Hannah calls it, together. And we, we start talking about different things in life. And I've had a chance to pray for some of them over, over sick family members or their own health. Or, or one of them had a child that was born that, that had some struggles at first. We, we've had some time to invest in, in some digital relationships. And, and what I found is, is this group of guys, by and large, are not believers. They're people I enjoy and I like, but, but there's a few of them that really enjoy flaunting their, their sinfulness. Usually it has to do with alcohol and how much they can consume. 
And I read that, and they know how I feel. We've talked about it before. I've told them why I don't drink and why I think in Scripture it's very dangerous to go down the road of, of alcohol consumption. And, and of course, I, I understand they're not believers, and they don't care what Scripture says. And, and I read some of the chats, and I just shake my head, and I go, there's so much more than going out on Friday night and forgetting what you did. And as soon as I feel like I need to pass judgment on this group of guys who glory in their shame, I remind myself of times that I have stood publicly in my, front of my family and in all of my sin and in all of my shame, yelled in anger and stomped my foot and said everything except a curse word. I, I, I've kicked and I've screamed and I've wanted my way and I didn't care how it made others feel. And in that moment, I realize I have gloried in my shame. I think about times when I've engaged publicly on social media, where I've shared things or commented on things or, or in, engaged in arguments and discussions that, that I was clearly in the wrong and did not care about and put it out in a public forum and gloried in my shame. This is an earthly vision, right? It's not just that I have sin, but I'm so stubborn in my sin that I refuse to hear anyone tell me it's wrong. And if you're going to tell me it's wrong, I'm going to push back so much that I'm flaunting it now. That I'm even proud of it now. I don't believe that this is always just a cultural verse. Yes, this is people who live their lives this way and their end is destruction, but I have to admit that there are times that I as someone who professes faith in Christ, am so stubborn and so focused on the world and my circumstances and my pleasures that I glory in my shame and I even find pride in my sinfulness. Paul says if you have earthly vision, you're obsessed with physical pleasure, you're proud of your sin. And then thirdly, he says you value today over eternity. You find what you want in this moment more valuable than what God wants to give you in the future. Look with me again in verse 19. He describes these people as those whose minds are set on earthly things, temporary things, here and now. And Jesus would put it this way. He would say, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust do destroy the, the things of this life are so temporary and so fleeting and yet we invest so much of our energy in the here and the now and the what we can get sometimes this takes the the form of of personal gain maybe material gain sometimes this takes the form of of pride oftentimes this takes the form of image I care more about what people think of me now than what God thinks of me in eternity. This is something that I don't think we easily cast aside because it's so hard to see heaven. But we get glimpses of it in Scripture. We see promises in Scripture, but we don't have a full understanding of what the next life will be in Christ. Instead, we see the here and now, and our minds will always default to what we can see. Every single time. The tangible things that I can touch are what I'm most consumed with. This is such a limited view of who God is and what He wants to do. 
So we, we look at what Paul describes as those who have an earthly vision obsessed with physical pleasure, proud of their sin, valuing today over eternity. And we see Paul, in all of his circumstances, who should be complaining about his physical pain from the beatings he's received, who who should be angry and mad and flaunting his anger and hatred towards the Roman government, who should look at his current circumstances and say, this is horrible. We see him modeling for us, not this earthly vision, but this heavenly vision of something more. We see him writing words like rejoice in the Lord always. We see him writing things that say, say rejoice in what God has done. He actually says it multiple times. He repeats it and he'll even tell us again. I say rejoice, have joy. What does it look like to have then an earthly vision? What would it mean for us to focus not on the the things of the here and now, but on the future glory? Well, for starters, we need to anticipate a greater body. Our physical pleasure here and now will not compare to the pleasure God has in store for us in the future. Actually, Paul writes exactly that to us in verse 21. He says, God will transform our lowly bodies. He says, you think you can experience pleasure now, just wait. Your bodies can't handle the gifts that God wants to give you in the next life. Any sensation of fullness from your stomach does not compare to the fullness that God wants to give you. Your current body cannot handle it. And there's a day that God will transform your body to have all that he's wanted you to have. The most physical pain you felt here on earth feels like suffering in hell. And then we contrast that with the greatest physical uh, enjoyment we've had, whether it be uh, relationally, whether it be uh, uh, hungrily, whether it be whatever, our greatest physical gain and pleasure. We look at it as being the pinnacle of what God can give us. And God says, you just wait. God doesn't want us to focus on our physical pleasure now because our bodies are built to only stand this amount of pleasure that God gives us by His grace. But there will come a day when we receive a greater body, one that enjoys more than we can possibly even fathom in the here and the now. Paul says, anticipate something better. Don't be obsessed with your physical pleasure. Secondly, he tells us, don't glory in your sin, but glory instead in Jesus Christ. This is a very churchy phrase, and I'm very, very conscious on on using this phrase. I actually stayed up uh, probably about 24 hours. I didn't stay up, but but spent about 24 hours trying to think of a, a better phrase for us here, and there just isn't one. So don't look at this churchy phrase as being glory in Jesus Christ. Everybody is good and happy. Let's think about what that means to look and glory in Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, Paul tells us what it means to to be transformed, not into something we're familiar with, but to be transformed and be like his glorious body. You know, part of glorying in Jesus Christ is identifying with him is realizing that that we are becoming more and more like the Son of God every day. Now, I want to be very clear. We will never be equals with Jesus. It will not happen. But Scripture tells us that each day we are being transformed into being like Him 
in His likeness as God created us in His image. When we glory in Jesus Christ, it's an understanding that He is the example of what we want to be. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to live like Jesus lived. We want to speak like Jesus spoke. We want to treat people like Jesus treated people. We want to experience the world the way Jesus created us to experience the world. Glorying in Jesus Christ says, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Glorying in Jesus Christ says, my body will fail me, but Lord, you will not. If we're setting our minds on earthly things, all we can be consumed about is our own pride, our own set of circumstances, our own desire to have what we want, when we want it, regardless of the sin we commit. When we glory in Christ, we cast that aside and say it doesn't matter whether it feels good or bad, whether it looks good or bad, whether it helps me in my own personal will and agenda or whether it sets me back. I'm going to follow in what Christ wants me to do. He's going to be my example. He's going to be the one I turn to. Setting our mind on heavenly things, we anticipate a future body, and we realize in our body now, we're being made more like Him. We glory not in our sin, but in Christ. And finally, we value eternity over today. We understand there is so much more than our current set of circumstances. I get frustrated sometimes. I've got maybe confession time for you. As a pastor, and it's not just been at First Baptist, it's been everywhere I've served, I get frustrated sometimes that, that my family's entire life revolves around the church and what the church does, and it doesn't seem like anybody else's does. That's a sinful thing. That's why it's confession. It's me going, I don't know why people don't revolve everything in their lives around the Sunday morning worship service. We do. I don't know why everybody doesn't revolve everything in their lives around Wednesday night Bible study and and youth gatherings and jam. We do. I don't know why everybody doesn't make it such a high priority to be at everything at every time and everywhere. We do. And I, I have to confess that I get frustrated sometimes because I think that everyone should think like I think. It's called sin, and that's why this is confession. So I started to ask myself and really say, Lord, I want you to convict me of this and help me. Maybe people aren't supposed to be obsessed with this the way I am. Maybe people aren't supposed to reroute their whole lives. Maybe part of the problem is, is because I'm a pastor, I don't have a choice, right? I'm going to be here on Sunday mornings. If not, I will get fired. There's some accountability that I have that nobody else has. It's not fair for me to put that on others. And I started praying, Lord, change my heart. And I'll tell you where he has changed my heart. It's to take away the pride and to take away the the thought of, of you're obsessed with the church and you're obsessed with faith and you're obsessed with this. He's changed my heart to take that away. And he's really put me at a humble place and say, Lord, you've blessed me with accountability that not everybody has. You've blessed me with with the fact that that if I want to miss a Sunday, I can't, right? And then it's it's transitioned me, and this is where maybe it's your confession time. It's really made me ask whether you're a pastor or not, Trey, would you go to church? Whether you're a pastor or not, would you be so obsessed with the things of faith? I've had to really consider, Lord, you've given me accountability, and I'm thankful, and I hope and pray that I would be. But now my conviction is not frustration, it's burden. Like, I wish everybody could be obsessed with their faith. 
wish every aspect of everyone's life would revolve around not the here and the now, but the, the eternal perspective. My prayer is changed for why don't these people think this way? And it's broken for, Lord, convict our hearts to make you above all else. I mean, it should be that my value is what is coming, not what is here. My value is not sporting events. And goodness knows I love Kentucky basketball. God, one day there will be no more Kentucky basketball games. Goodness knows that, that our priorities become rest, as if, as if God isn't powerful enough to give us strength when we need it. And so, Lord, we just can sleep in. My conviction is that, that, that our gods have become our stomachs that we've desired the here and the now. And and I wonder what it would look like if we were obsessed the way, not Trey is obsessed, the way Paul is obsessed. I wonder what it would look like when we didn't care that we sit in a jail cell or we're exhausted, that we wouldn't care that, that we miss out on a sporting event, that we wouldn't care that, that our, our families weren't the most popular or weren't viewed in a certain light. I wonder what it would look like when our priorities were no longer the here and the now and what people think, but the future and what God thinks. I have to brag on, on my wife because she lives this out. <laughs> I've watched her. <laughs> I know you're tired with kids. My wife, she dealt with, with some kids who were handfuls. I know you have handfuls. I've got some that, that when they were little, I don't think my wife sat in a service for two years. <laughs> Every single Sunday. It's not about how tired we are. It's not about our current circumstances. I wonder what it looks like when instead of being so obsessed with the here and now, we remind ourselves every single day our citizenship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you that this life is not all we have. Lord, these tears are confessional tears. I know. Father, you're good to us in ways that we don't deserve. And Lord, I'm so consumed with the here and now. So consumed with, with my own strength. So consumed with my own personal gain. Lord, convict our hearts this morning that this is not what you have for us. This is so temporary. Lord, this morning that means some of us sitting back and saying, my whole life has been lived for me. My whole life has been lived for the here and now. Lord, I want to give that up to you. Lord, I don't want this to be all there is, and I need to trust you. Lord, forgive me for flaunting my sin and living for myself. Show me how to live and be my Lord. Father, we pray we would look for examples in this church. Lord, I think of other names that pop in. Lord, as Paul says, let us imitate those who are following you. And Lord, we ask that you would change our hearts to realize our citizenship is not here. 
We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, come now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.